listen to Irish Radio Canada here and at home and abroad and you might hear if you listen little bit of Irish music in the background well we're on the banks of the Rideau and Smiths Falls and we're outside the Heritage Museum and they're tuning up because there's a Cayley about to start here because there are visitors over from County Wicklow the Culatin estate which has a very close relationship with Smiths Falls and I have Kevin Lee here with me Kevin is over from County Wicklow at the moment Kevin welcome thank you very much Austin delighted to be here and proud and privileged to be here also and uh, the connection with um, Culatin and Smith's Falls goes back to the famine. Uh, indeed, uh, the, the whole Ottawa Valley goes back to the, the uh, migration to the Ottawa Valley from South Wicklow goes back to the famine years and indeed the pre famine years. Between 1847 and 1854, almost 6,000 men, women, and children uh, arrived in this area from the Culatin Estate in County Wicklow. So they were assisted in coming here by the uh, Culatin Estate owned by Earl Fitzwilliam. And he had his reasons for doing that? He had his reasons. The land was overcrowded and people were dependent on the potato crop for a living and uh, it was clearance of the land. It was, uh, it was no longer economically viable for that number of people to uh, exist or rather subsist on, on, on the amount of land that they had in, in County Wicklow. And likewise he had his reasons for sending people here? He had his reasons for sending people here, yeah. He, he had an interest in uh, railway companies here and uh, he owned a lot of land in, in, in Ontario at the time as well the, the family did. Right, because uh, one of the things we'll be talking about um, probably next week is um, I had an opportunity to spend some time at the uh, Railway Museum of Eastern Ontario and find out some of the history there and yes. how the Irish were a major component in the development of the railways. Yes. But So when when the, the Culatin estate itself, as I understand it, Fitzwilliams was one of the largest estates in Ireland. One of the largest in Ireland, yeah. At, at its peak it had just about 91,000 acres located in South Wicklow. He also owned the uh, towns of Rathrum and uh, the county town of Wicklow. He owned the, the parish of Newcastle in North Wicklow. And he owned a famous place in County Kildare, Jigginstown, where the Jigginstown Racing Stud is now located. Uh, that was in uh, the news, wasn't it? It was. Michael O'Leary has his horses there. That's Michael right. O'Leary, the uh, owner of Ryan. Oh, Ryan uh, yes, yes, yes. My mother used to keep an eye on his colours. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. So then, um, around that time, it, it was good land, so there would have been a large population in South Wicklow. Uh, there was a large population in South Wicklow, yeah. A lot of them had migrated into South Wicklow from County Wexford in, during the period between 1881 and 1821. Uh, there was an economic collapse after the, uh, uh, the end of the Napoleonic Wars, and uh, the people were starving and hungry and uh, wandered through South Wicklow. South Wicklow was a kind of a promised land where you had the Fitzwilliam estate and people were well looked after in, in terms of uh, medical treatment and assistance and he was even paying widows pensions to the, right. to, to the widows on the estate. It's like when you talk about that, you know, it, it sounds very progressive in many ways in today's terms because that's what an awful lot of employees in, look indeed for. Indeed, yeah, you could almost call it a primitive welfare state. Right. Uh, because one of the things that I found out about the railways was that I asked the question, you know, with the development of the railways yes. because of 
British money, which would have been Fitzwilliam's yes. money and yes, others yes, like yes, it. Yes, yes. You know, was it privately financed? And it was not a public-private yeah, partnership yeah, 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 yeah. way back in the 1800s. Again, you know, these concepts are not new. Not new indeed, yeah. But there was a, there was a famous case of the, the Star, one of the Fitzwilliam ships that went, uh, not to Quebec, but to St. Andrews, to, and they brought over. Uh, I think the agreement was that 100 able-bodied uh, men were to come to work upon the railway in, 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 in New Brunswick. But what happened was the uh, what arrived were old men and young children, uh, men up to 70 years of age. There we have a train going by. A train going by, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's not, a, not a famine ship, it's a train. No, it's a train. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, sorry, so the, the ships, they, they uh, were coming across at that time? The ships sailed from New Ross, yeah. Right. And the, uh, the estate uh, hired the use of carts uh, to bring them the 60 miles or so from the Culloden estate uh, down to the port of New Ross. And there they boarded uh, ships like the uh, Dunbrody, the Jesse, the Bridgetown, the Glenline. Uh, you have a replica. The, 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 the Dunbrody is a replica of one of those famine ships. It was funded by the JFK Foundation from America. And it's a, it's a, a very accurate re- replica of a famine ship that sailed, bringing uh, Fitzwilliam emigrants to right. Quebec. Now, the, Fitzwill- uh, the Culloden House itself, I know I had the pleasure of visiting a number That's of years right, ago, yeah, yeah. and um, it's sited in uh, the centre of the golf course. Yes, indeed, yeah. At, at yeah, Carnew. Yeah, yes. And I know efforts are going to gradually uh, restore it, um, because there's a lot of work to be done there. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed, but uh, golfers joined the golf club to play golf and uh, not to restore uh, preserved buildings. The best they can do is uh, what you might call a band-aid solution and keeping the body and soul of the house together and keeping dry rot and wet rot rot in check and uh, keeping out the water, keeping out the leaks and uh, just holding it together on such time as uh, either a government or a private developer can come along and uh, pump money into it and bring it back to uh, what it looked like in its uh, its heyday. And I would think from what I see in my visits to Ireland now that there seems to be certainly a greater appreciation for that aspect of our architectural history. Oh indeed, yeah, oh indeed. Back back in the 1950s uh, uh, all these old buildings such as Culloden were, uh, the roof was taken off in order that people didn't have to pay rates on them Yes. and uh, they just fell into disrepair almost overnight once the, once the roofs were gone. There's more of an appreciation of the, of the uh, contribution that they made to the landscape of Ireland. Right. Uh, people in the past uh, kind of regarded these buildings as symbols of arrogance, arrogance of the British hierarchy yeah. in, the, in the country, like you know, and, and symbols of oppression, symbols and of oppression, and symbols of uh, uh, keeping people down and. Uh, what have you? Yeah. Right. So then, the town of Carnew was on the outside the gates of the estate, and that would have been where the workers or um, people that w- worked on the estate, some of them would have lived. Yeah, in some well, Carnew and Shillelagh and Tinnahilly, uh, the, the villages are dotted around the uh, the big house at Culloden. The, the, the estate built uh, uh, beautiful stone houses for them. Now they're architectural gems in their own right, where right. the where the people, uh, the carpenters and the coopers and the millwrights and uh, uh, agricultural workers and uh, grooms and so on. Uh, grooms and uh, woodmen and all had their own their own houses provided for them. So in a way, yeah, the, the conditions were quite good con- relative to the time. Working conditions were good relative to the time, yeah. yeah they, were in, they were indeed. And uh, uh, 
a shilling a day was the wage and it was fairly good but it was a lot of perks as well a lot of people got firewood and uh, milk for their families and uh, if there was a debt in the family the, the uh, estate uh, provided the money for the coffin and the shroud and for the funeral expenses for that family which, which is for many families that's often a fear that would be a fear a fear and particularly in the, in the, in the era of repression and uh, hunger and famine uh, uh, dying without being buried and given the proper rights was always a fear but right. the, the estate did look after that and they had their own building yard and their own carpenters who were employed in uh, making chests for the families that were emigrating to Quebec to put their belongings in right. and also for making coffins for burying people who, who had passed on back on the estate So on the estate itself like these were agricultural estates predominantly so they would have been producing produce or animals They were producing the produce yeah and uh, one of the things about the Clotten estate they brought over uh, high quality breeding stock from England uh, prize winning bulls and uh, rams for breeding sheep and they made these the services of these animals available available to the tenants so the, uh, the Fitzwilliams differed in a lot of respects from uh, landlords in the west and the southwest of Ireland insofar as their wealth derived from uh, uh, the coal mining and the steel production and iron production in South Yorkshire that had uh, huge uh, uh, mines in South Yorkshire and that's where the money came right, from right. so they weren't dependent on rent they weren't dependent on the rents which uh, Irish tenants were paying right. in order to maintain their uh, fairly elaborate lifestyle and they would have been exporting then as well probably uh, not, not really no not, in, not, not exporting the, they kind of kept Colatin as a, as a summer house as where they came during the hunting season and brought over their nobility and their friends from amongst the nobility in England and the church to uh, big house parties big bashes and uh, cricket matches and uh, hunts and well, what have you it was a place of recreation right. rather than uh, so then when would the decline would the decline be attributed to the time of the famine now the decline often uh, derived from the Wyndham Act of uh, around about 1903 when the government not, not the Irish government the British government uh, decided to buy out the land that the tenants owned and pay pay off the landlord for that land and, and um, the tenants paid for it in annuities over a long period of okay. time yeah, yeah. so that would have been again so that gave tenants the opportunity to acquire their own land they acquired their own land independent. and became independent the only thing the, the Fitzwilliam estate retained were, was the shooting and fishing rights on the estate they, okay. they kept those for themselves right right yeah. so the move then to um, bridge the bridge between uh, Culloden and Spitz Falls when did that movement start to happen and what was the spark uh, the movement from, from to, to the Ottawa Valley here uh, it started in the 1830s but it's not well as well documented as during the famine years during the famine years the estate kept records of every, fam every family that came every family that was assisted to travel through New Ross they gave the name of the heads of the house and they gave the names of the children right. the ages of the children uh, they even gave a description of the type of house they had and whether they were to knock it down or whether it was to pass to a, a middleman tenant uh, they even paid for uh, assets such as the dung heap in the yard they gave them money to go a 
but they didn't have an, they didn't have uh, adequate clothing. They paid the local tailors for making them suits of clothes. They made them a chest to put their belongings in. Uh, they gave them they gave them a money to travel with, but they only gave them half of that money before leaving Pilatin. They gave them the other half when they were going at New Ross okay. because uh, uh, American weeks and celebrations and what have you. The they wanted to make sure they, they got they to New Ross. They sure they had a bit of money when they got to New Ross and and ergo to Quebec that they would not have no way of spending on the ship. So then, Kevin, in modern times, like when was the the effort revitalized? When was the um, awareness and uh, rekindled? Uh, well, it has been rekindled. I've been working on the, on the estate record since uh, around about 1974. Uh, my colleague in Arthur, Jim Reeves, uh, has documented it in, in two books, uh, Farewell to Famine and Surplus People. Uh, uh, they're not beautiful little books. They give a fairly fairly adequate description of what happened uh, during the period of famine emigration. Uh, past students of mine from the uh, Clarke of Reed, the community school in Carnew, uh, they have uh, done postgraduate research and uh, thesis, MA thesis and PhD thesis in various universities, Manute and Dublin, uh, on this. Uh, uh, but I suppose uh, uh, the, the present uh, the present movement to rekindle an interest in it derives from 